0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love both of those moms so much. Gosh. And you know the, thing I, I, the other thing I love is you guys because I'll watch these videos through the week, like trying to find something, you know, for, the, for Sunday morning. And sometimes I feel really bad about myself because I always die laughing at those. <laughs> And I think there's something really wrong with me. I'm broken inside. But then I get to church and I hear all of you laugh, and I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> but I promise those videos, those little angels that we just saw, especially that little one at the, the end, her saying, help. It really has so much to do with us today, with what we're going to walk through uh, in our message. But uh, for me personally, I see myself in those two quick videos because man, so many times in my life, I get focused on what I think that I want and I don't listen to anybody else, but I don't listen to God even when he is saying, no, that's not good for you. That's not what you think it is. That's not going to do for you what you think it's going to do for you, but I don't listen because I get certain in my mind that, no, I know this, I I want this, I'm going to do this, and and so I go ahead and do it. And then I sit there in complete bewilderment about how bad it actually is until I get to that place where I'm just finally like, help. (laughs) And that has a whole lot to do with this focus for us this morning. Like I told you last week, um, if you were here last week, we kicked off what's going to be this year-long series of us going through Scripture, we're going to take 52 stories straight from the Bible, probably a lot of these that you're very familiar with, or at least that you've heard probably many, many times, but take a deeper look at how they reflect in our own life today, like what they mean for us today. And as we started last week, we're continuing in this famous story from Scripture this week, as we really are kicking off the the year today. It's a story that has been the subject of countless uh, movies, um, books, um, uh, all kinds of of, uh, philosophical, theological uh, papers that have been written, conversations that have been had, and a story that all of us, at some point or another, I guarantee, regardless uh, of our own, um, um, maybe, involvement in church long term. All of us have had some exposure to this story. The story is called The Parting of the Red Sea. And, and if you have a Bible, if you want to follow along, uh, I'm going to be reading from the book of Exodus. And so this is literally the second book in the Bible, right, it's at the Old Testament, right up at the front. If, and if, if you don't have a Bible, if you would like to take one of the Bibles, those are for you. Um, they're sitting in the, pew, in the rows around all of us, but um, we would love for you to take one home if you don't have one, or if you want even a brand new one, see me afterwards, I'll make sure to get you one. But so we're gonna be in the book of Exodus today, specifically in chapter 13 is where I'll start. Uh, it says this, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So real quickly there, um, the the nation of Israel has been in captivity in Egypt. They've been enslaved now for hundreds of years. So generations have grown up in slavery. And God sent Moses to Egypt to free his people. And we see this, that um, the quickest way out of Egypt back home was to go through another enemy territory. But God says, like, I know what'll happen. They're so weary, they're so tired, they won't trust me. And the first sign of conflict, they're going to head back home or back to Egypt. It says in verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So in other words, a lot longer journey, but they wouldn't encounter these enemies. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So God sees them. He says, they, they seem like they are ready. They're equipped for a battle. But he knows who they are. He knows what would happen. They're just going to give up. They'll quit and go home. So he takes them on this longer journey to get back to their homeland. So the backstory on this story Um, If you've ever read through the story of Moses, then you know what has happened leading up to where we just picked it up. God called Moses to go to Egypt to lead his people out, the nation of Egypt who'd been held in captivity. And and God, um, uh, through this process, had told Moses, "Ask Pharaoh to allow my people to leave. Moses did this. He asks the uh, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, if he would voluntarily let the people leave. And so what you see as you read through this story is this kind of roller coaster ride, this series of uh, ups and downs that the Pharaoh at one point would say, okay, yeah, sure, go ahead and go. And then he'd change his mind and say, no, never mind, what am I thinking? No, you can't leave. And so it goes back and forth forth like this. God releases uh, ten plagues on Egypt, on the country, which at the time was the most powerful country in the world. And again, you see this back and forth with Pharaoh of like, yeah, you can go. No, you can't go. And it finally comes down to this 10th and final plague, which was the death of all the firstborn sons in Egypt. Everything it says from the Pharaoh all the way down to the poorest person in Egypt and even the livestock. The firstborn livestock. Every firstborn passed away. And out of this grief and fear and exhaustion, the Pharaoh finally tells Moses, go, get out of here. Because it cost Pharaoh his own son. And so Moses does that. He he leads the Israelites, as we read here in chapter 13, on this kind of long, circuitous route to get back home. Moses gathers all of these people and he takes this path to follow the way that God has told him to lead them away from their enemies. Verse 17, when we read that, it said that God identified, he already knows if these people who are so tired, so weary, if they face a conflict with an enemy, even though, even though they've seen this so many times that God would deliver a victory for them, they would give up before it even started. And they would rather go back into slavery than to fight. Now, out of this story, the thing that for us this morning, there's a few things that are gonna be really applicable for us, and that's the thing that's important and why this series I think this year is important, is looking at these famous stories from scripture, again, that we probably all feel very familiar with, but that we sort of, I think at times tend to sort of just glaze over. Because maybe we've heard them so many times, and we think, well, yeah, it's an interesting story. I don't know how that would ever apply to me. And so we don't really give them a lot of thought. But what I want us to do this year is to unpack these stories and really look at how it applies in our personal relationships with God. The first thing for us this morning, the thing that I wanna make sure we leave here with today is that it is one thing for us to say, yep, I know God. I know that He is all-powerful. I know that He has my best interests. I know that He'll never let me down. It's one thing to say that, that we know He won't fail us. But it is another thing entirely to live our life believing it. Does that make sense? How? On one hand, it is very easy for us at times, again, maybe even like as we think about the familiarity of these stories, that we say, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that story. I don't know how it could possibly apply to me in the 21st century, but I know that story. I think we sort of do that same thing in our relationship with God, that we say almost too quickly, like, yep, I know, I know, I know who God is. I know how powerful he is. I know there is nothing he can't do. I know there is nothing that I face that's bigger than God. But man, so many times when things actually go south, when we're not just talking about it in the abstract, all of that knowledge goes right out the window. One of the examples I I actually thought about just in the last few days, we had gotten a, a picture of one of my nephews that was going to a military ball, it was his first one. He's in an ROTC program in high school. And this story came back to me right then, because I too, I was in the ROTC program at my high school. It was, um, uh, our, our leader was a retired Marine Gunnery Sergeant. This guy was hard as nails, but he's like one of my favorite people I've ever known in my lifetime. And part of the program that we were in was that in the summer, of your junior and senior year, so two summers, you had the option if you wanted to, it was totally voluntary if you wanted to go, but you could go for two weeks to this mini boot camp with Sergeant Webb and whoever else in our ROTC program, you could go to this mini boot camp at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. And I went both summers. And I'll tell you, man, that, that first trip as a junior, man, you got to do all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, it was hard. I mean, it was a crazy, tough experience. But you got to do things, especially like 16-year-old boys love doing. Like, you got to fire guns. You got, We even got to throw a hand grenade. Like, man, what were they thinking letting a 16-year-old kid throw a hand grenade? I mean, I, I'm surprised I didn't throw the pin by accident. But... But, you know, you got to do all of this stuff. You got to spend a couple of nights camping out, like, in the the field and eating sea rations, which are disgusting but was awesome. You know, and it's like some of these were like World War II sea rations, which tells you, like, those things literally last forever. I mean, we were, like, smoking cigarettes and eating chiclets out of these things. But it, it was such a good experience. And so as a senior, I went back. And as a senior, you get to do even some bigger stuff, like they put you in a gas chamber and they make you take your mask off with the gas going. It was crazy. One of the things though that really came back to me this week was that they take you as kind of the graduation ceremony or towards the end of the camp. They take you to the base of a rappelling tower. It's probably 50, 60 feet tall, five stories, something like that. And at the base of this tower, they teach you how to get uh, harnessed up for a rappel. And they, they called it a fast rappel. That's what they were going to teach us, was how to get from the top of the tower to the bottom as quickly as possible. Well, not as quickly. I guess as quickly as possible would be free fall to your death. They did not want that. They made that clear. He, he, the gunny sergeant, as he's helping us all get, you know, suited up and get the harnesses. He was double-checking everything, showing us how to use the rope, showing us how that even on a descent, as fast as we were going, that all you had to do was squeeze your hand together and you would stop instantly. I mean, he is going through all of this. And with the love and care uh, of, of every gunnery sergeant you've ever heard of in the Marines, he told us, he said, I promise you, none of you maggots will die today. You know, he tells us that in love, right? I and mean, so at the bottom of this tower, we watch as he climbs to the top and demonstrates it and does this fast repel from the top all the way to the bottom and just stops like on a dime, just inches from the bottom. And he says, all right. He gets unhooked and he's like, now all of you up to the top and I want you back down here in 15 seconds or less. And so there is a lot of bravado <laughs> happening as we are getting onto the, the stairs to start climbing. The bravado dies about halfway up. And as you get to the top of this tower, and they're running the, loop, the rope through the loop on your harness, the bravado has turned to hyperventilating. <laughs> as you approach the edge, you're just begging somebody to push you off because you can't do it. All of us had seen him do it. He had explained it all in perfect detail. But as you stood at the top, it was a lot different experience than standing at the bottom. Now, if you're wondering, we did it. Like we, we, we actually did the fast rappel, made it all the way down, none of us died, none of us were even injured. I actually even got the fastest time down. At the end, they had told all of us, and I was first. I had the fastest time. And of course, you know, I'm kind of strutting around like, yeah, uh huh, number one. And of course, because the gunnery sergeant likes to build his maggots up, he comes over and he says to me, he was like, Rimmel, he's like, that was a pretty good job. But before you get too big of a head about this thing, just understand gravity had a whole lot to work with in you. It kind of hurts my feelings that you laughed at that, but <laughs> he was right. I mean, it was like, I mean, I, I think the rope was smoking as I went down that thing. I, I, I did go over the edge. I did survive it. And, and I understood in that moment that everything he had told us was exactly correct. The point of that story, though, is that for me, as we stood at the base of that tower, I believed every single thing he was telling us. And then, as I watched him do it, I became even more assured that everything he had just taught us was going to keep us safe. I saw it with my own eyes when he flawlessly demonstrated it. I believed it was safe. But as I stood on the edge and looked down and saw what initially in my mind registered as those tiny little garden gnomes that are in your garden, but instead were full-size Marines 50 feet below me, all of that knowledge went away. I had a much different feeling looking down than I did when I was looking up. See, believing something is one thing, trusting in it when your health when your well-being when your overall life are literally hanging in the balance that is a whole nother thing it is a completely different set of circumstances and so as the israelites have left egypt and now stand at the shore of the red sea with miles of deep water in front of them. And looking back and seeing that Pharaoh has indeed again changed his mind and is leading his murderous, bloodthirsty army as the most powerful nation on earth against a ragtag group of slaves, they realize that they are cornered. Everything that they believed, actually everything that they knew as God's people, everything that they had seen him do, everything that they had from their stories of their ancestors, everything they knew about God's ability, it all went out the window as they stood on that shoreline. Let's pick this back up. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. Chapter 14 says, starting in verse 15, that the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? So picture where these people are. They're caught now with the sea in front of them and an army behind them. The Lord said, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, he's speaking to Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. I want to pause again right there. I, I, first of all, would be somebody I would love to see what that looked like. I mean, we've all seen it in the movies. I mean, whether it's you know the, the Disney adaptation of it or um, the Charlton Heston version as Moses, like we've seen on movies and, uh, and media the pictures of what it might have looked like. But I, I honestly just can't even really get my head fully around it. I mean, did it look like walking into a hallway? except instead of drywall on both sides, that it was walls of water that were 80, 100 feet tall? I mean, could you look into the wall of water and see, like, fish swimming? I mean, would fish, like, come to the edge of this wall and, like, look back at you and, like, what is going on? I mean, it had to have been such a surreal thing to step into that hall of water just like for me, maybe, standing at the top of that tower, getting ready to repel down, I have to imagine that taking those first few steps into that hallway were completely terrifying. Nobody had ever done this before. That leads to the second thing that, that I want to make sure that we have as a takeaway from here today, is something that we cling to, that we remember. And that's that God always has a plan for you. He has it in everything that you face. In every moment of your life, God has a plan. But that does not mean that it is going to be an easy path for you to follow. I mean, here in this story, the Israelites are now shown this path forward. But they still had to step out in faith that those water walls would hold. And then, depending on the exact route of the crossing, wherever God had led them to the edge of the sea, they still had a long walk ahead of them across the seabed. I mean, I have to imagine that as they are making this trek, terrified about what they're seeing on either side of them, there had to have been some in that group, maybe all of them at some level, that are, are looking at this water and that they are starting to say themselves, my goodness, our God is so powerful and incredible, but Honestly, if he's able to move trillions of gallons of water out of our way, couldn't he have just picked us up and instantly transported us back home? I mean, this God of miracles, couldn't he have just instantly, like, snapped his fingers and erased Egypt from the face of the map? Instead he's told us he's made a way for us but we have to take it see that same thing is still true for us today that God has said I will make a path for you I will make it straight but it's still a path and you have to take it you have to put effort into it and move forward I think for many of us, understandably, and please don't hear this as criticism because I'm talking about myself as much as anyone else. I think that many times in our life, when we get into trouble, when we face hard times, when we face these cataclysmic things that pop up from time to time, oftentimes we just want to bury our head. And we just want to pray, God, please, rescue me now, instantly, God, please. For me, every time in my life that that's been my approach, I have been disappointed. Because God typically, the way that he works, is that he provides the answer. He he shows you the way out. He explains the rescue plan. He puts it in front of you. But you have to take steps to see it go into action. That takes us to the last part of the text that we're gonna look at today. Back to verse 29, it says, the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. Read, Read that sentence one more time. The people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They saw what the Lord did, and they believed. Honestly, with that kind of being the end of the 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 parting of the Red Sea, it kind of feels like that's like the the wrap up at the end of a fairy tale, you know, like that happily ever after kind of ending, like you expect for it to say right then, you know, that um, they, they lived happily ever after the end. Except of course, if you know the story, that's not what it was at all. Regardless of how many times the people of Israel saw God show up and do something miraculously, They continually, again and again and again, time after time after time, would turn away from him. They would ignore his commands. I think for us today, when we look at stories like this in Scripture, it is very easy to find ourselves in a place where we read it and we get frustrated Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've read through the story of Moses and the people of Israel, and maybe you've felt that frustration as you read it because they see all of these amazing things and yet time and again, they would just go off on these weird tangents, making these terrible decisions. I think it's easy for us to somewhere in our minds as we read these things to say, man, I can tell you right now, if I saw God create a path of dry ground in the middle of an ocean, I would never not believe. (laughs) I I would be in a hundred percent. But that leads us to this final takeaway, I think for us today, as we contemplate this story and how it applies to us in our life. All of us, every single person that has drawn breath on this earth, all of us have seen God do amazing things but we, re- we re- turn away from him very regularly. Now, you hear that and maybe you kind of put yourself in the place we talked about last week that you say, well, man, I've never had the privilege of seeing an ocean split in half. I've never seen a man raised from the dead. I never saw Jesus walk on water. I've never seen a healing of somebody that has like leprosy. But all of us, nevertheless, have seen God do so many amazing things. I can tell you for me, one of my earliest ones that I didn't think was possible is that somehow God healed the hearts of my mom, my sister, and me after the death of my dad. I didn't think that was possible. I definitely saw the miraculous in God leading Tara and I together. A wife that I have no right to have, we've been married 28 years. I saw him as many of you in the miracle of birth, the birth of my two kids. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of sitting with families sometimes at the bedside of someone in the hospital, who it seemed like there was no hope, and yet days later got up and walked out. I see him every time I look around me, the beauty of nature, all around us. My kids a lot of times laugh at me or they, they call it my laugh cry because I'll be watching something. It might just be a nature program or like we were watching something last night about dogs and man, it got me so choked up because I recognized the miracle that I was watching and what God has provided for us, even in something like a dog. I see the miracles of God in a little church here in Milford, Ohio that is making a global impact in the lives of people all over the world. Whether it's feeding starving orphans in Liberia, where we built an orphanage and a school, or providing a church now in Ukraine that we've been supporting this last year and a half, for refugees who have been uh, driven from their homes because of the war, to helping hundreds of impoverished families in Appalachia through Happy Church in Jackson, Kentucky, to now adopting another community in the southern part of Mexico that we are helping at-risk children, to helping so many families right here in this community right around us, through, through programs like Milford Miami Ministries or Kids. man, we have a God who has never given up on us, that pursues us every day, that loves us so much that he gave us the greatest miracle of all, his son Jesus, who took our spot in punishment and sin and death to provide us with a life forever with him in a paradise that is beyond imagination And yet, more times than I can count, in spite of all of these miracles, more times than I can count, I've lost sight of the God of miracles. So many times in my life that I gave up or that I got sidetracked or I turned away or or I fell from the path that he had laid out for me. Maybe you too are someone who loses sight of this God of miracles at times. Maybe you are someone, too, who forgets what it is that he has done, who loses sight of what he has still yet to do. Maybe you are that person, like me. We, we had something um, that we have for you today, and hopefully you got this as you came in, but it, it, if you didn't, get it as you leave, but it's just this little vial of, of blue water We had uh, a big group of volunteers that came in this past week and put these together for me. I'm so thankful for them. But what we wanted this to be was just as a reminder that you would hang this someplace, maybe in your car or, or in the kitchen at home or your mirror in your bathroom where you get ready, someplace that you will put this that will be a reminder to be reminded every time you see it to live like you believe the God of miracles of the Bible does have you firmly in his grip. That you believe that he has a plan for you. And that you will do everything possible to keep your focus on him in all things. Because we truly have the God of miracles that is desiring to do a new work in us and through us and for us every day. But we have to make sure that we keep our hearts and our attention focused on him. Because we have an enemy that desires to see you fail. He desires to see you broken. He desires to see you lost. He desires to see you stay quiet. And not tell your friends and your neighbors this good news. But the best news of all is that God loves you so much. He gave his son for you. My desire is that you will know him personally. That you will lean in him in every moment. Through the good and the bad through every circumstance that you face, that you will remember the God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Old and the New Testament has a plan for you. When you leave today, one more thing that we'll give you and we're gonna do these every week through this series. This is called a SOAP, S-O-A-P study plan. The SOAP Bible study method is to read Scripture, observe, apply, and pray. There's a little description of it on the sheet that you'll get when you leave. It has just a very short passage of Scripture that we're inviting you to read this week and answer three easy questions. Easy, not so much in maybe what you'll wrestle with internally, but certainly not difficult to walk through. I'm so thankful for you guys and I'm so thankful for our church. I'm gonna invite you to stand up because we're gonna, we're gonna sing one more song as we celebrate this Jesus, this savior of the universe, this God of miracles. And as we prepare to sing, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for what his sacrifice, what his willing replacement for us on that cross of torture means for us today. Father, may we spend every moment of our life telling others, showing others, introducing others to you so that we together can spend eternity with you. Father, I'm so thankful for Esai. I'm so thankful for each of these friends. I pray for your blessings to be on them and on their families that you bring us back here together safely. We love you so much, Father. We say all of these things in the name of your Son and everyone who believes. Shout it, amen. Amen.